Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. Today, I've got a very fun special guest here. It's Matt Babcock from over at Babcock Hoops. Just did a nice little guest spot over at CBS Sports, my old stomping grounds. Matt, how you doing today? I'm doing well, Sam. How are you? Oh, it's it's another day in Hollywood. It's great to great to get to stay inside and uh, deal with month three going into month three of quarantine. I guess. Yeah, no, God, three months. That's crazy. Yeah, uh, I would imagine that you're you're going through it a little bit more than I am because it's like I have a dog and two cats, and my wife. I mean, you have kids. So yeah, no, like, yeah, I've got a three and a half year old son and a ten month old daughter. So we're we're in the thick of it. <laughs> Oh man, and that's that's just rough. And like the good news for the biggest problem for you, I guess it's like good news and bad news because the good news is like in Denver, you're really starting to enter like the unbelievable part. Because I lived in Denver for three months back in like 2013, I guess. And man, summer in Denver is just like the best place on earth. It really oh, is. Like the really sun is, is out yeah. constantly. Right. It's stunning. And then like you get any day with rain, you get any day with snow, and it just feels like the worst place in the world. No, for sure. No, yeah, and you're right. It's starting to get really nice, and the trees are blooming. We've got all kinds of trails around our house. We're going to take the kids on walks and stuff. And uh, yeah, it's sort of, sort of our saving grace right now, really. So, Matt, give the people a little bit of a background on who you are. You're a former agent. Uh, your dad is Dave Babcock, works for the Milwaukee Bucks, a very long time NBA executive, and you decided to make the trek over onto our side of the aisle on the media. So just kind of give us a little bit of your story in terms of how you ended up here. Sure. Yeah, you know, so I was born into a basketball family. Uh, my, my dad and my two uncles have all worked in the NBA for a really long time. I uh my oldest uncle Pete started working in the NBA in the late 70s uh, as a volunteer volunteer scout for the New Orleans Jazz and uh, worked his way up to be a general manager for uh, the Denver Nuggets, the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, my uncle Rob was general manager of the Toronto Raptors. And like I said, my dad's been uh, been with the Milwaukee Bucks uh, in their front office for 23 years, I think. So kind of born into it, um, you know, grew up playing and walked on at Arizona. When I finished up there, I was kind of just looking for my first job in basketball. I knew I wanted to, to follow my family's footsteps and kind of just fell into the agency business and did it for 10 years and uh, decided I want to get over and, you know, got, you know, be a little bit more directly, uh, you know, tied into basketball as far as evaluating the game, talking the game. And, you know, so I, I made a jump over to the media and here I am. Yeah. When I talk to agents, like the first thing that I say is just like, I don't know how you guys do it because <laughs> the number of non-basketball evaluation duties that agents have, I feel like goes so far beyond what most people know. Like, especially if you have any NBA clients, because like you just have to constantly service NBA clients because you're just so at risk of getting poached constantly. And it's just like so many different like mental calculuses in terms of just figuring out how to spend your time. I mean, it just feels like uh, such an insane lifestyle that uh, I, uh, I personally would not be a fan of going down that road, put it that way. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. And it's, uh, you know, I, I've worked for a number of different agencies and sort of different setups. And uh, by the end, I kind of had a nice balance where I was, I was representing, you know, fringe NBA players. Those, those are sort of the guys I targeted, you know, second round picks, you kind of yeah. get them a little bit more reasonably. The you know, pre-draft expenses aren't, aren't as, as rough. The recruiting isn't quite as competitive. Um, and then I also, you know, represent a number of international players. But the problem I fell into is I was representing a lot of guys. 
and I was working around the yeah. clock because I'd have guys in, in France and Japan in, in the NBA. So it was just sort of like, you know, I, I could never turn it off. And it's just there's so much maintenance. And, you know, you kind of wake up every day or, or even in the middle of the night with fires to put out. And uh, just kind of caught up with me. I'm just like, you know what, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to just watch some games and enjoy the game rather than just having to deal with all the negatives behind the scenes. Yeah, no question. Like, there's that side of it. And, you know, kind of like you said, like, even like, I feel like most people don't understand the pre-draft expense part of it as well. Like, just the amount of money you end up having to put into these guys that, you know, nowadays, it's even borderline draft picks, guys that, you know, you're training to go over to in Europe, like, or go over to play in Europe. Like, these are situations where agents are really tossing out. I mean, this year, it's going to be a little bit higher, just because we don't know when the draft is going to be and a lot of agents are having to put up housing for five months instead of three months but like you know you're talking about a situation where i mean pre-draft training that can get up to twenty thousand dollars nowadays and then you're talking housing and food it just gets it gets a lot more expensive than what i think people realize before these guys even end up playing a game in the nba yeah you're right housing and training alone i mean you're looking at probably you know for doing it on a relatively high level at least twenty thousand um, yep. You know, I mean, some some guys I've heard spend up to, upwards of forty to fifty thousand dollars on a guy. Um, you know, and, and how it works is with the MBPA. I mean, you sign a standard player agent contract, and it's it's pretty much a worthless contract that the player can terminate you whenever they want. And so, I mean, it just ends up being a very high risk business of, re- of recruiting college. Um, you know, college players coming into the draft, and um, yeah, it stressed me out so much. Every time we'd have to, you know, sign a player, it's like, okay, well, now I got to figure out how to pay for this and make sure I, I keep the client and, and turn a profit, which is going to take a little while. Right, right. Like the long tail of making profits in the agency business is just like not something I have any desire to ever get involved in. I'm glad that you're on our side of the aisle now. You can have a bit more uh, work life balance. In no, for sure. I appreciate that. <laughs> So let's talk about this 2020 NBA draft. This draft, I I feel bad saying it, but, like, I'm kind of just, like, sick of evaluating this draft. Uh, I typically don't hit this point until, let's say, like, mid-June when the draft is a week out. And I'm just like, okay, like, I can't watch any more tape on this kids. I feel like I've hit that point early this year because, A, I've watched probably more tape this year just because I'm not traveling around and – not going to McDonald's and then Hoop Summit and the Final Four and Jordan Brand followed by high school events, right? Because we're all locked down. So I've just like been sitting here repping tape, repping tape, writing words. Also, I feel like this draft class, I'm frustrated evaluating it because a lot of these guys aren't really that good yet. And you're betting on your evaluation of the human beings being right more so than I can remember uh, in any draft. Because so many of these guys at the top of the draft are extraordinarily unfinished products with high-level tools that you're trying to project. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I, you know, I agree with all of that. Uh, and I think we're all in the same boat of, you know, everything's getting a little bit stale. I mean, I've, I've talked to my dad and uh, my cousin's working in the NBA too, and you know, we're all kind of spinning our wheels right now. I mean, we're all staying busy. We're all working. Um, you know, but there's only so much film you could, you know, you could watch. There's only so many Intel calls you can make. Um, yeah. and the other part of it too, is, I mean, we're, we're used to having uh, the NBA lottery, you know, so I mean, we'd, the, we'd have the order set up, which is, you know, kind of puts a whole new spin on things. And I'm, I don't know about you. I'm, I'm so sick of this, uh, this order that we're dealing with, with the Warriors number one and Cleveland number two, <laughs> I kind of need to mix it up a little bit. And I, I saw you did the same thing we did as far as using Tankathon to, to simulate the, the lottery. And that was yeah. kind of fun to spice it up, but yeah, I'm, I'm getting a little, little bored. Yeah, no question. I mean, I guess at the top, I'll just ask you, what 
do you think of the prospects at the top of this draft? Are you uh, are you a little bit higher on this class than I am maybe, where I think it's like pretty clearly the worst draft class at the top I can remember since 2013? Uh, are you a little bit higher than that? Are you a little bit lower? Like where are you uh, kind of following well, on your evaluation of this? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely no clear cut, you know, hey, this guy is the guy. You know, like last year we had Zion and, and Ja was right behind him and, um, you know, we've had a number of years where there's a clear cut. Whoever gets, you know, whoever gets the, the number one pick literally won yep. the lottery because they're getting a star player. And I think there's some guys in this draft that could end up developing into stars. But, I mean, we're really looking at probably, you know, a good amount of complementary players. And so it changes how we evaluate guys. And, you know, I mean, I think there's there's certain guys that will be taken in the lottery that I'm evaluating a little bit differently. Okay, he may not be a star but this guy's going to be an effective player. And I think it kind of throws off a lot of people because they're expecting lottery picks to all be sort of alpha dog top guys. And I, I don't necessarily see that being the case. No, I'm like really excited about Devin Vassell right now because mm-hmm. I'm like, oh yeah, this skill set's just immediately translatable. He can right. knock down threes. He can defend on the help side. He's pretty good on ball. He's great at contesting shots. This is going to be a NBA player for a decade. He's not going to be like a star level player though. Like you're talking like he might be like Danny Green. And I feel like that's like not a sexy thing to say. What evaluating a draft prospect is, oh, this guy might be Danny Green. Like people aren't going to get excited about that. But that's just kind of where we are in this draft where like the guy that I'm going to look at at number 10, number 11, uh, if I had that selection, like that's just, (laughs) that's the player that you can expect to get unless you're taking just some lottery home run swing that you hope is going to be a star. Right, yeah, and I think there's a couple guys. I mean, obviously we got the you know the big name guys, Wiseman, Edwards, Toppin, Lamelo, but you know past that, I mean, I think there's only a couple guys that I see as as being high upside guys. Uh, you know, Patrick mm-hmm. Williams comes to mind, uh, Jaden McDaniels. You know, I mean, these guys, if if things were to click properly, you know, they've got big time talent, but they're they're sort of the high risk, high reward guys. Outside of that, I mean, I think it's you know a lot of guys uh, like Vassell that are, are going to be solid players, uh, which I, which I like, and I think there's a lot of value there, but it's just. You know, we kind of lose the, the sexiness of, of the you know the prospect, and you know in that sense. Yeah, like Devin Vassell, if he becomes Danny Green, that guy's going to make you know what 120 million dollars in right. his NBA career. Like, right. well, no, it's a good pick. Like, be, like lottery, that'd be yeah. a good, good safe pick. I mean, you know, yeah, the, the upside is okay if things go perfectly for the kid. He's still probably a third best player on a team. You know, so it's just it's just right. uh, it's, it's interesting when you when you look at it from that perspective. So. I've kind of been asking everyone that I talk to around the industry this question. I think it's a big kind of jumping point for how you evaluate uh, just the value of draft picks in general and the value of certain positions in general. Do you think that there is a center that in a normal draft class, not one that has as many questions at the top as this one does, in a normal draft class, such as last year, such as the year before that, do you think that a James Wiseman and a Yeka Kongwu, guys like that, would be worth selecting in the top five this year? Or do you think that they are just too far away in terms of their ceiling or in terms of their development right now to where you wouldn't want to take that risk? Oh, I, I do. I mean, I, I currently have Wiseman number one at Golden State and uh, Okongwu number four to Atlanta. Uh, I mean, I, I totally understand the, the argument that the game has really evolved into being more of a guard friendly driven game. Um, you know, but I mean, when we're looking at a draft where there's a lot of uncertainty, if any of these guys are going to be stars, I mean, I think I think Edwards is, is the clear cut most upside 
prospect. Uh, but there's a lot of question marks with him. So I think with that said, you know, taking a, taking a big that, that you can plug in that you, you think will succeed in your system, um, I mean, I think, you know, both those guys will be will be really effective players. And, um, you know, one thing I, you know, one way I look at it with Wiseman uh, specifically is, you know, DeAndre Aiden was taken with the first pick a couple of years ago, and he's done he's done pretty well. I would probably take Wiseman over Aiden. And so it's just, you know, I think this guy is going to step in uh, probably average like 15 and 10, a couple blocks, uh, and do it for 10 years. That's that's a good player to me. Yeah, it's interesting. I would like to kind of delve further into that because I, I disagree. I was higher on DeAndre Ayton than most people were in general. Uh, I can just say that from the top, right? Like whenever yeah. I look at DeAndre, I'm like, this guy is just a physical freak beyond all physical freaks. And this guy is going to dominate in the post just in terms of strength and in terms of uh, the ability to move guys around uh, in a way that other guys can't. With Wiseman, he has kind of a higher center of gravity. He's still Mm -hmm. not as physically developed as DeAndre was when DeAndre entered the league, and I don't think that we're ever going to be able to compare James's uh, physical strength inside to DeAndre's just because, again, like I think DeAndre is probably going to be one of the five strongest players in the NBA for a decade. Uh, With Wiseman, what is it particularly that you like ahead of DeAndre Ayton's skill set? Um, you know, I mean, they're, they're, they're certainly different style of centers. There, there's no doubt. But I mean, everything, sure. you're, everything you're saying is absolutely right. I think with Wiseman, um, you know, I guess first the concerns. I mean, the high school stuff, you know, did he have a motor? Did he love the game? Uh, and, and to me, it was, it was pretty encouraging, even though it was just a small sample size of three games, Penny got him going, you know, to start the season. And usually with a young guy, mm-hmm. it usually takes a full season to get, get them to where you want. He got him right off the bat. Yeah, so and- kinda, it gave me some hope that, hey, maybe get this kid to play hard. And, uh, yeah, and I, I, can, I can jump in on that part, too, because, yep. like, I thought that his motor showed improvement as he got stronger in high school. Like, you could see a pretty clear difference in him from the first part of his senior season in high school, if you watch the tape, to, like, mm-hmm. the back half of his senior season in high school, to where he put on, like, 15 pounds over the course of that time. And he just got a lot physically stronger and was willing – to embrace and accept contact. Like the story that I go back to with me is, you know, I remember I went to the Adidas Summer Championships back in, it was probably 20, 2018, I guess it would have been. And Oscar Shibway just like pushed him around, bullied him. I think Shibway mm-hmm. had like 28 points and 15 rebounds against Wiseman and just dominated him. And then when they met again at McDonald's All-American camp and you know, I guess practices, not necessarily camp, but James Wiseman just dominated him. Like mm. Sheepway could not come even remotely close to finishing at the basket because Wiseman got so much stronger throughout his core and throughout his lower half right. that every time Sheepway tried to bump him and knock him off the spot, Wiseman was able to hold steady while still maintaining principles of verticality and shut down the paint in a way that, uh, we just didn't see from him at lower levels. I totally agree with you on that. And I was lower on Wiseman throughout a while. Then when I saw that and saw him at Hoop Summit and saw those three games at Memphis, I totally agree with you. Like, I think the motor stuff, I'm not as worried about that. Right, right. And so then now you've got a guy that's seven feet, seven one, seven foot six wingspan, moves very fluidly. And I think his body's going to fill out. I mean, it's, I don't think he's the same player as this guy, but you're just looking at, at uh, you know, pictures at the same stage. Look at Joel Embiid at Kansas. They're pretty similar in their, you know, as far as their weight and their their size. I think Wiseman's going to fill out a lot, a lot more than people realize. I think he's, you know, in a few years, I think he's going to be a big dude. And uh, so now we got some guy, a big monstrous guy that can move. 
and I think his, his skill set is underrated. I mean, I, I think he's going to be able to shoot threes. I think he's going to be able to you know, be a, you know, a second or third scoring option on, on, a t- on a decent team. Yeah, like the guy that I keep looking at with him is like imagine if DeAndre Jordan could shoot it, like could shoot like trailer threes and then like occasionally pick and pop. Like I, I don't really see Wiseman as a guy that you're going to short roll and have him make like passing reads. Right. I don't see Wiseman as a guy that you're ever really going to post because while he likes to do that, I just don't think he's very good at it. With him, what I see is he is elite as a person high pointing a basketball whenever you get him downhill and running. Uh, right. He is absolutely terrific as someone who can play in drop coverage. And I think he's smart enough to where just as a human being, he's going to be able to really call out defenses on the back line. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he needs to get a little bit more vocal in general, right. but you always say that about bigs at this age. Uh, I think he's probably a little bit more skilled than DeAndre is because I think he's going to be able to like dribble once and put it on the floor. But whenever I look at the skill set, like I, I think that that's more the guy. And like you said, DeAndre really filled out as he got through his like second, third, fourth year in the NBA. I agree with you. I think James is really going to fill out, and he's only going to add to the explosiveness that he has currently. Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, and I think the role, I mean, you step in, you know, for example, I've got him going to the Golden State is, okay, he could, if you get him playing hard, um, he's going to provide rim protection, rebounding, and rim running. And it's a guy, and maybe as early as next year, he's going to be able to step out and just hit an open shot, or at least, you know, hit a shot at, at a high enough rate we have to defend him and it gives four spacing, which is so valuable, especially for a guy that's able to do all those other things that a guy like, uh, uh, you know, DeAndre uh, Jordan does. Um, so, yeah, no, I, 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 have, I have high hopes for Wiseman. I think he's going to be able to step in and contribute right away. So I've got Wiseman at three, though, on my board. And I really like him. And I, I think I'm, like, a little bit higher on him than what the public consensus seems to be. But I think that, like, a lot of the public – consensus hasn't seen him in person as much as like you and I have. And it's mm-hmm. like seen the growth trajectory. You know what I mean? Like, I think that that's like kind of the disconnect that's happening right now. Sure. I actually yeah. have LaMelo ball at number one on my board. Yeah. You know, I actually, I don't do a, a, a traditional big board. I do positional rankings yeah. and they say, you know, the way I see it is okay. If, if it makes sense for a team to do a big board, cause you're, you're pretty much looking at guys, how they fit in your system, how you want to play. Uh, I mean, yeah. what we're doing, I mean, we're having to make picks for the entire league. I mean, every team is so different. You know, I mean, the big board would essentially be yep. a completely different different board for, for each team if I was doing it like that. So I, uh, I pretty much do the yep. mock draft with my positional rankings and just sort of take into consideration all the different variables. And But, you know, I, I don't know if Wiseman would be my, my number one. He, he's in the top, you know, three or four for me. I think Wiseman, Edwards, Ball, Toppin, I, that's sort of my first group. Kungu's right there. Abdiya is right there. What – I guess that the concern that a lot of people have about LaMelo Ball is the jump shot and the decision-making with the jump shot. How concerned are you about his jump shooting long-term? You know, I, I'm more concerned with his shot selection, you know, and, and decision-making. Yeah. You know, I mean, the mechanics aren't great, uh, but, I mean, he has shown an ability to hit shots at the times, just not consistently. I think that's more of, a, you know, you know, a product of the poor decision-making. Uh, so, I mean, that is a concern. He needs to grow up. I mean, you know, Entitlement always kind of comes into play with him and, and the family. Um, and then, you know, my, my biggest concern with him is maybe on the defensive end. You know, he's not very strong. He's not very athletic. <laughs> he might he might get abused on, on that side of the ball, at least initially. Yeah, the, the thing with LaMelo is, like, there are these flashes of incredible just, like, reactivity on defense. Mm-hmm. But so often 
Like, I, I can pull out, like, five clips this year because I've watched all of his games. Like, I can pull out five or six clips this year where, as he's supposed to be tagging, like, a backside roller, he's just literally wiping his shoes. <laughs> like getting ready to go down the court, like in transition or getting ready to go down the court on offense in like right. a half court set. It's right. unbelievable. Like his lack of, I guess it's just like give a fuck on defense right. sure. was uh, incredible this year in a way that uh, really is frustrating to watch at times. But then you see these flashes, like he'll shoot a passing lane and it's like, oh yeah, this guy actually like knows what he's doing. It's like kind of similar. Like I see a similar, like, thing with Tyrese Halliburton where I'm not saying Tyrese like his give a fuck level is way higher than LaMelo's is but I think Tyrese is like a little bit overrated as an Mm -hmm. on-ball defender Uh, I think that you talk to big 12 coaches about him they're just like oh yeah like we felt like we could take advantage of him be it that he was conserving energy because he ran so much of their offense be it that uh, he just is not very good we felt like he was uh, a little bit high in his stance all the time and we could drive him when we wanted to. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and the same same issue with Lamelo is, is with both those guys is the lack of physicality. I mean, that's going to be yep. an issue, you know, at least early on in their careers. Yeah, no question. So whenever I look at you know guys that are this tall, like they can go one of two ways. Like I remember thinking Lonzo Ball was not a good defender at UCLA. Lonzo really put effort and intensity into becoming a great defensive player. I don't think Lamelo is necessarily going to do that, but like. The things that LaMelo can do on offense uh, just so vastly exceed Lonzo, in my opinion, just because of the ball handling ability. Lonzo always had an incredibly high handle and had kind of stiff hips that hindered him from being able to get a ton of shake. LaMelo has all that stuff. Like, he can really get shifty in the paint. He's really good at creating separation, really good at keeping guys on his hips, and then finding one-handed live dribble passes that – are really just kind of special to watch. Like when I watch him, like I get vibes of like a Rajon Rondo more than like a Michael Carter Williams or something. Sure, yeah, no, that's interesting. Yeah, he's definitely a natural you know playmaker. I, I think I think Lonzo, um, you know, just sort of his personality type probably more than anything is, is a natural playmaker. He's looking to get his teammates involved, yeah. push the ball up the floor. I think Lamelo is a score first guy. That's that's a you know skilled playmaker, uh, but I think he's going to be a pretty big scorer. Is, is my bad. Yeah, that's a really good point just in terms of the mentality. I mean, the uh, I don't want to say that he plays selfishly because he is a very good passer, but there's like almost a Russell Westbrookian sure. like mentality there yeah, sure. where he's an exceptional passer that wants to score as right. his first option. Absolutely. Yeah, that's how I see him. With Anthony Edwards, I'm still like struggling to wrap my head around him. Like if there's one guy in this class that I think is an absolute swing guy, that I don't want to say he's going to fail, but like if you told me like he ended up being slightly better Dion Waiters, I would understand that as an outcome for him. Uh, I also would understand like more physically explosive Victor Oladipo for him. It's like all going to depend on how much is he willing to put in the time and the work to improve his feel for the game by just sitting down, repping out tape as much as he can, understanding what a good shot is versus what a bad shot is, and understanding how to use his explosiveness to get into the paint and live there because he has that ability, as you said earlier. He has best player in this draft upside. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he's sort of the guy – you know, if I'm a team, I, I'm not sure I want the number one pick because, you know, he's the guy. I'm not yeah. sure I want to take him, but I'm not sure I want to pass on him either, you know. And, uh, I mean, if it clicks, I mean, he could be a superstar. I think he's the one guy in this draft that, that has superstar potential. He's just got to learn how to play. I mean, on both ends of the ball, he's got to commit to himself on, on you know, defensive end. 
Uh, but I mean, he could he could be an elite defender. He could be an elite scorer. Um, he's got natural playmaking ability. He's just gotta he's gotta figure it out. The tools say that he can be an elite defender. He was so bad on defense this year. Oh, for like, sure. for it was sure. so it was terrible. Like he was just not even. Uh, there were times where it looked like he wasn't even trying on right. defense. Like right. in a way that uh, even. Even LaMelo showed flashes in terms of, like, shooting passing lanes and stuff. Like, Anthony Edwards didn't even do that stuff. Like, the flashes weren't even there. It's just, like, it's wholly a projection based off of, oh, this guy is six foot five with long arms and 220 pounds and has the ability to knock guys uh, off of their momentum whenever he slides in front of them. Yeah, no, I, I think it's, uh, you know, he's definitely got a selective motor, which LaMelo does too, like we addressed. And, yep. Uh, I think the difference is I think LaMelo knows how to play. I, I don't think Anthony Edwards is there yet. I think he's very far behind. Yeah. Uh, just you know, basic understanding of spacing and just just all the little stuff. I, this is going to take time. I mean, he's a he's a product of the EYBL. You give him the ball and just let him play one on one and you know transition and um, you know the NBA is a different animal. I mean, he's going to probably have somewhat of a learning curve uh, just with the little stuff. And I mean, coaches are going to be frustrated with him uh, on, on on you know defensive uh, principles and whatnot. And, um, but again, hey, if he if he commits to it, I mean, he, he could be really good. So. Speaking of, like, product of the EYBL, uh, Cole Anthony is someone that you're a little bit lower on, I feel like. Uh, at least in regard to where you have him mocked, I would imagine you feel similarly about him as a player, though, right? Yeah, you know, I, I, it's getting to the point where I'm starting to feel bad. I'm, I'm not really not trying to tear the kid down too much, you know. And, no, of um, course. Like, it, I think that that's what people, like, get frustrated with with us sometimes is, like, uh, it's never, like, it's never a situation where you're trying to tear a kid down. It's because like I have Jaden McDaniels like outside of my first round right now. Like mm-hmm. I have, I'm not saying like I have a would not draft grade on him, but just based on where I have him ranked, like I basically have the effective would not draft this guy right, ranked right, on right, him, right? right? Just based off of where he's going to go. And it's not because like, I'm rooting against Jaden McDaniels. I would love that kid to succeed. Like he came out of a tough situation up in Seattle. Like that'd be incredible for that family to have two NBA players, but it's the same token. Like I have to evaluate based off of what I see. And I think that with Cole Anthony this year, it's reasonable to have him lower. Right. No, and I appreciate you doing your job with integrity. I mean, that's what I'm trying to do. And it's just, it could be hard. You know, I mean, we get a lot of, a lot of people with a lot of opinions, right. And, uh, but yeah, with Cole, you know, I mean, he's, he's definitely a talented scorer. I mean, I've watched him in all the high school stuff. So, I mean, I've watched him for, for you know, a couple of years now and uh, he's talented. He's competitive. Uh, my concerns with him are, are just sort of his, uh, just sort of his whole makeup, uh, his personality. Doesn't seem like the greatest team guy. I mean, the, the Intel calls on him are just, they're really bad. Um, you know, it's somewhat alarming. And he's got he's got sort of the the you know recipe I think for a guy that could slip. Uh, you know, one thing that comes to mind or a name that pops up quite a bit is uh, Austin Rivers. You know, really hyped up guy out of high school, talented. Just you know, it just didn't didn't go as well as, as a lot of people would thought. And that's that's sort of how I see Cole. And I think he could be better than Austin. Uh, but I think he needs to, to step into a role that, that fits him. And I think he needs to be a green light scorer. And I just – I don't think he's good enough to be the guy on a team in the NBA. And uh, having an alpha dog personality like that that's not elite uh, can be a problem. And so I'm, I'm so, yeah. concerned with him. Yeah, the, the intel calls on Cole that I've had are interesting because going into college, I agree with you. Like you would get a lot of those – you know, this guy's like kind of selfish. Like he has that, uh, he wants it. If he's going to win, he wants it to be about him. Like that tended to be the call and the mentality that I got. But you talk to people like around North Carolina and even during the injury, like even during uh, this season that was pretty tough, I've heard like he handled it really well. 
and was actually like a really positive force for them. Like you look at the way that he was constantly cheering on his teammates on the bench. Like it seemed like he was really, it seemed like, I don't know if this is necessarily like a conscious effort on his part, but just knowing, cause I've spoken to him before, like he's an incredibly intelligent kid. Mm-hmm. I would venture that like that information had gotten to him and he really wanted to make it a point that he is not a bad teammate. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. And I hope that's the case. I mean, I, you know, again, I, you know, I've had him, you know, much lower than everybody else all year, but you know, like we said before, I'm not rooting against him. I'm just, uh, I'm just doing the math on my own, and that's that's where it's coming up for me now. But um, yeah, I, I hope I hope he turns around because he's a talented kid, and I mean, if he starts playing the right way and you know, sort of being a better team guy, I, I do think he has upside. Yeah, and you know, like the reason that I'm higher on him because if I if I hadn't seen this in person, and you've seen it in person too, like you know this, like you're just more worried about the mentality a little bit than I am, and I think that's like totally reasonable. Uh, if I hadn't seen him in person really play unselfishly at places like McDonald's All-American and Hoop Summit and Nike Basketball Academy, where he was surrounded by good teammates, I would absolutely feel the same way you do. Like this, what he showed at North Carolina, like that's just like not my kind of guy that I want to draft. You know what I mean? Right, right. Uh, But like I've seen him play better and unselfishly before in a way that I think portends hope for me as him potentially being like a top 20 point guard in the NBA at some point, uh, who does have more of a scorer's mentality, but isn't going to go into like the Austin Rivers mode of, oh, I'm just a scorer. You know what I mean? Sure. And I I think, you know, it's an interesting point to make here is that with all of these guys, they they need to get with a team that the team sees them the right way and wants to use them the right yep. way and develop them properly and you know it's interesting with, with us doing our mock draft so I make all of our picks and I'm really not I'm not trying to be a reporter I'm not you know projecting you know who who the Knicks are going to take I'm, I'm kind of making suggestions and Cole's just not my kind of guy it's it's not the you know sort of player that I, I'd want to build a team around and if we're looking at you know him as a top ten guy um, you know you expect him to be pretty elite and I just I just have him lower you know are you uh, are you on the Kyra Lewis bandwagon yet? I am. I mean, to a certain extent. I mean, I know some guys have him as high as top ten. I I, I see him more as a little bit, mm-hmm. a little bit further than that. Like you know, more of a mid first rather than a you know mid lottery. Uh, but I do like him. He's got he's got speed and he shoots it. You know, th- those things translate. Yeah, I totally agree. And I really like the way he slowed down this year. Mm-hmm. Like you could see from the first half of this year where he it seemed like he was trying to like just run, run, run constantly, which is exactly what NATO wants him to do. Right? Like they play at a top five tempo in college basketball. It seemed like he was kind of still adjusting to what Oates wanted from him. But then right around the time SEC play started, maybe even like six or so games into SEC play, you could see him in the half court really start to slow it down and start diagnosing things as they happen on the court in a way that it portends success at the next level. Like he actually started making like cross court, live dribble, like offhand passes in a way that is always going to be translatable when that speed is also on the table as his, as his like calling card skill. Yeah, no, for sure. And I mean, I think as he gets stronger too, I mean, you know, I think one thing people lose sight of is he entered last year, I think it's seven as a 17 year old freshman. So I mean, he's still yep. really young and I think he's got a physique that he could add some weight and uh, you throw that in there. Now all of a sudden he's be able to finish through with some contact a little bit more and, um, yeah, I do like him, and it's interesting with this year's draft. There's so many dang point guards. It's just, and they're all know, little, right? they're all a little different. So it's kind of like, what's your what's your preference? You know, and do you want to you want a guy that can play on the ball, off the ball, like Halliburton or Killian Hayes, or do you want a speedy guy that can shoot it, like you know Kyra? And um, you got a little bit of everything this year. And one of those point guards that 
I've been similarly low to you on, and I wasn't this low on him like early in the season, but during Pac-12 play, he really struggled. I mean, Nico Mannion, you also have him outside of the first round right now. Just talking to teams about him, I can't go that far when like projecting out my mock. Uh, I think that there is still some enthusiasm there that, you know, in terms of upside that may not quite be there for others, but I'm with you in terms of where I have him personally ranked. I have him outside of my top 30 right now. And it's, he's not a guy that like I would love to take in the first round. I probably would not take him in the first round. Why would, why are you lower on Nico man? Yeah. The the whole evaluation process on Nico has been sort of a roller coaster for me. I mean, for one, I'm an Arizona guy. So I mean, I'd love to be able to root for him and put him high and, you know, maybe, maybe be sort of a driving force to, to help pump him up a little bit. But, uh, you know, it started, I mean, for me really uh, the hoop summit, I got, so hot on him. He and Cole had these great battles all week and he was terrific in the yep. game and I had really high hopes. And then, um, you know, spent a lot of time watching him this year in person and on film. And he just, uh, the more I watched him, the, the less confidence I had in him uh, for, for one, shooting the ball. I mean, I went into the year thinking, okay, this guy's probably going to be somewhere between Luke Ridenour and Steve Nash, which that's not, not really fair to put anybody in the same breath as Steve Nash, but somewhere, somewhere in between there. Right. And uh, as I watched him more, uh, you know, the, the shot selection and the, the, the shot inefficiency really concerned me because now all of a sudden we got a guy, if he's not a big-time shooter, now his foot speed's a, a little bit more of a problem. The, the, the game's a little tighter for him. And I think, you know, some people, what they'll see is dunks. Like, oh, okay, this guy's a deceptive athlete. He's explosive. He's an explosive jumper. He's not very quick, though. He's not blown by anybody off the, off the dribble. And so I think with, with all of that, it's just, I don't know, how, how much upside is there? And then, then doing some background on him, He's not committed to the weight room. I'm not sure how much of a gym rat he is. I just all together, it's just I've, I've got more and more concerns with him, which uh, again just sort of kills me. Yeah, I think that the number that frightens me most is he took 32 shots at the basket this season uh, in half court settings, which is basically like one per game because I think they mm-hmm. played 32 games. Uh, that's just like not enough for a point right. guard, and I think it like goes to state how limited he is as a driver going forward and being able to break down defenses because he's just not getting those lanes. He's not able to take advantage of those lanes as they present themselves in a way that uh, is, is very problematic when trying to project a NBA point guard. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, l- lack of uh, lack of foot speed and then uh, lack of upper body strength. I mean, both those things, I think he just struggled. He gets knocked, knocked off his, uh, his place and he's not getting by his guy. I mean, those, those are, those are very concerning things. And when we're talking about going to the NBA, which is, filled with a bunch of you know dynamic point guards let's talk about the wing class because i wrote this earlier this week in a story that i wrote with fred katz over at the athletic on when all things are equal i tend to default to taking wings because there are there's such a supply and demand uh right now or there's a limited supply and an extreme demand for wings in today's NBA because of the way the game is downsizing. I still don't think we've hit the point where there are enough good wings across the NBA for how teams actually would prefer to play. How do you feel about this wing class in general this year? Well, I like several of these guys a lot. I just think the depth of of wings is is really limited. Uh, But I mean, Avdia, Okoro, Neesmith, Sadiq Bay. I mean, I guess you could throw Devin Vassell in there, even though I see him more of like a two threes, you know, essentially a wing. Uh, I, I like those guys a lot. McDaniel's we talked about is you know high upside, high risk guy. Um, so I like it, just not not great depth. Yeah, it's not great depth. Like, but the even the way that I phrased it was like 
I guess like I'm considering Denny more of like a three, four, like hybrid, sure. like point forward. Right. right, right. But, like, and I think Anthony Edwards is going to be like this, like lead, you know, ball handling guard. Right. Mm-hmm. So like not necessarily like a two way wing, but when you remove those two from the equation, like I don't have a wing ranked until number 10 on right. the board. And right. that's like very abnormal for me. I think that the high end upside of wings in this class is actually uh, pretty limited. And then I totally agree with you. Like, like you're someone who is with me and liking Elijah Hughes mm-hmm. is someone that like you would take near the end of the first round, early second round. Yep. And like, even, even someone like Elijah Hughes, there are questions about just because of the uh, translation of the two, three zone defense into the NBA. And because I think he's a good shooter. I don't know if he's a hyper elite shooter yet, like a super high-end shooter that he's going to need to be to play a high-end role at the next level. Cash Stanley is an incredible athlete, not really a shooter at all right now. Well, a lot of these guys just have holes. Yeah, I think with both those guys, uh, you know, one thing to keep in mind with Elijah Hughes, their, their team wasn't very good at Syracuse. He was dependent on to create a lot of offense. I think he's a better shooter than what the numbers suggest because he was taking so, I agree with that. so many contested threes, so many shots off the dribble. I think, you know, as he kind of steps in, um, he can play a little bit, you know, more simple basketball on the offense and get some easier shots. Um, I, I actually think he's going to be a really good shooter. Cassius Stanley, he's definitely not a pure shooter. He did shoot 36% this year in a limited role, which is hard. And uh, so, I mean, show me some promise that, okay, maybe he's got got the wherewithal to kind of make shots and, and improve because it's just if he's able to hit shots at a decent rate, that kid is so athletic. I mean, just, you know, th- yeah. there's got to be a significant significant amount of upside put with him just, just because of how athletic he is. Yeah, totally agree with that. Uh, Cassius is a really interesting one. I can't really totally wrap my head around him. Right. Yeah, no, he's tough. And anyway, it's I'm I'm certainly much higher on, on him than, than a lot of people are. Uh, he's just you know he's got good size and he just the athleticism just really intrigues me. Uh, you, you put you put guys that uh, you know and he are, plays hard like that's how he plays hard yeah for sure he knows how to play. He utilizes the athleticism to right. a high level on the court. Like he's not right. just like kind of a like I think a lot of people thought Jamias Ramsey was a really good athlete coming in, but you watch mm-hmm. him on the court and. He doesn't really showcase that athleticism at a high-end level. Mm. Cassius plays fucking hard. He right. balls to the wall all the time and utilizes that athleticism on the court. Yeah, well, Cassius is a little bigger, too. That's one thing that, that separates yeah. uh, him, him from Ramsey. I mean, Ramsey's game is, is very simple to me. His ball skills aren't very good, uh, but he, he shoots the ball and he's a good athlete, but he's only 6'3". You know, so, I mean, it's somewhat limited. Cassius is more of a 6'5-plus guy, um, you know, if he's able to add, add some – you know, consistent outside shooting. I think I think he could end up being a really good player. You are with me on the Isaiah Stewart bandwagon, and mm-hmm. that makes me very happy because every college coach that I talked to this year about Isaiah Stewart, they were just like, "This kid is one of the best players we played all season." Every single one to a man. Uh, they just felt like he has enormous hands. He catches everything. He is strong enough just to bully every single player in college basketball, and that that. Like his, they actually think his strength will translate in a way that uh, other guys who are that big uh, may not necessarily translate. Uh, his touch around the basket's extremely strong, and again, the motor—he just plays exceptionally hard. To me, that's a guy who I think is going to be a starting center in today's NBA. Where are you on him, and why are you similarly high on him to me? Well, I think that there's a few things with with him, and, and, a, and a number of these big guys, for that matter, is um, I think some people are getting lost in, in guys' roles in college and how how they'll project at the next level. I you know I think Isaiah shoots the ball a lot better than people realize. He was just such yep. a physical force 
that are Washington, they just they pounded you know to him, and they they should have. And uh, but I think he's guys to be able to stretch the floor. So that one you know adds a lot of value right there of a guy that could you know space the floor a little bit. Um, and then his backgrounds are just like through the roof. I mean, he's the kind of guy yeah. you want on your team. You know, he's a culture builder. He's he's going to be an overachiever, and uh, I think he's going to adapt well with with all those things considering. And um, you know, I, I see the weaknesses. I mean, I understand the the whole argument of okay, big men are, are a little bit less valuable than they used to uh, be, but um, you know, he's going to be a player that can contribute to winning, which which I value. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, how do you kind of sort through this big man class? Because similar to the point guards, there are just a lot of them. Like you can talk about Isaiah, you can talk about Precious Achua, Zeke Naji, uh, you know, Daniel Laturu is in this mix. Uh, Alexei Pokashevsky is a mystery box because of the quality of competition he was playing this year. Uh, Vernon Carey exists. Uh, Yudoka Azubuke exists. There are just a lot of these guys. How do you kind of sort through all of those guys and try and figure out which ones you feel most confident in carving out an NBA career? Well, I think Wiseman and Kungu are, are clearly ahead of everybody else. Yeah. I, I love Kungu, and he's he's the kid. The, the more I get to know about him, the more I watch him, the more I think he's the real deal. And uh, you know, a lot of people have come around saying the, the Bam Adebayo uh, comparison, which I, I fully agree with. Uh, the, the one I I, uh, I I knew him at this point pretty well, but I saw him live um, in my backyard in Boulder, at University of Colorado, and uh, um, his footwork and his touch, and I mean, he's I think he's really underrated as a as a scorer. I think he's going to end up being a big time guy there. Um, sort of reminds me of more athletic Al Jefferson. I mean, his touch and just little little bunnies around the hoop. Um, you know, and, and, See, yeah, and I, I think, think that's really more good. what he is. I think he's more that than Bam. Yeah, I I do too. Yeah, like Bam actually flashed some of those like initiation skills that we've seen uh, bear themselves out with Miami. He flashed those on the AAU circuit. He flashed those in high school. And like, look, Okongwu played at Chino Hills with the Ball family for a long time and, you know, played with Compton Magic, who obviously has a super high number of elite level players around him that are going to get to handle the ball. And he was, he's so often been consigned into being the dirty work guy that I wonder if we don't know necessarily what his upside is as a creator, but we just haven't seen it yet in a way that we saw flashes from Bam Adebayo uh, at an early age that could uh, at least portend the potential for initiation of offense in the high post at the top of the three point line is a driver, et cetera. Right. Yeah. Adebayo, it sort of reminds me a little bit. He's not quite as athletic as this, but sort of like Sean Kemp, uh, whereas Kungu is a little bit more, you know, like I said, like more athletic Al Jefferson. Um, either way, the kid's a big time player. And, Great player. Uh, yeah. And USC, you know, they, they, they would run him some sets, but those, those guards are pretty ball dominant. It wasn't a deal where they kept fuel, you know, fueling the fire, which they should have. Cause I mean, that kid could average over 20 points a game easy. Uh, well, and they played him next to Nick Rakosovic, who right, was right. taking up like space in the paint and, you know, ball dominant is a very nice way to put how USC's guards <laughs> right. were this year. I mean, like, we can just say, like, they were not very good, to be <laughs> right. honest. Like, jo- right. Jonah Matthews is fine, but, like, Jonah Matthews is not, like, an initiator. They were running out, like, Quentin Adlish, who, as much as I love Quentin Adlish and enjoy watching him play, and he was awesome at Columbia, wasn't quite there athletically for the Pac-12. Yep. Yep. And Ethan Anderson was a freshman that was still adjusting to the Pac-12. Uh, level and Kyle Sturdivant ends up transferring at the end of the year because I think I get the impression he was like a little bit homesick. So like the, the level of guard play was just not particularly strong. They played him next to a big constantly. I agree with you. Like I think that a Kongwu does have a real chance to be a super high level scorer at the next. Yep, not for sure. And then the other big guys. So I mean, with uh, the next guys I have rated would be Achua and Naji. Um, I see them 
being more of a power forward. I think Najee can play the four or the five. Um, Achua, I, I don't know. I, I think he's pretty much a straight four. I, I don't see the small ball five quite as much as everybody else does. Uh, but I like both players a lot. And, you know, one thing with Najee, this is my opportunity to pump up Arizona guy here, <laughs> um, <laughs> is a lot of people don't realize he can shoot the ball. I saw him in a bunch of high school events. Um, yep. He really strokes it. And, you know, doing some some background work on, on you know, talking to people in Minnesota, that was his main attribute in high school is he's a big guy that could shoot it. I mean, in AU ball, um, yeah, I mean, he was hitting threes left and right. And I saw him win the, the three-point contest at uh, Iverson Classic. And so, I mean, now, okay, taking consideration everything he did at Arizona, low post scoring, you know, showed some potential of being a versatile defender as a, you know, four or five, and he could stretch the floor. You know, you can plug that guy into any system, and he's going to be in their rotation. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Uh, I think that he's going to be like a really good third big man. I, I worry about the defense mm-hmm. uh, translating because I don't think he was very good on defense, but the motor is super high level. He's an extraordinarily high character kid. I agree with you. I think he's going to shoot it. Uh, all of that stuff tends to play in the NBA, especially when you can just run. Like that dude right. runs. He like, plays hard. Zell. Yeah. He plays hard constantly. Like I am, I, I'm totally with you on Zeke Naji carving out a career. It's just like, where would I take that guy? I'd probably take him lower than you would, but I totally get the case, and I think it's like a valuable uh, valuable third big man at the very least. Yeah, you know, I've got him going 13 to New Orleans, which I, is on the high side for him. I just – I think it's a nice yeah. fit. You know, you play him – you know, you play him with uh, – you know, if you're looking two years down the road, you play him with Jackson Hayes, you can have him play with Zion. It just gives you some, like, line of flexibility and just a good fit, you know, especially with – that the evaluation I have, of, I project him to be a guy that can stretch the floor, and that's really what New Orleans needs is guys like that that can kind of fill different spots and give them some spacing. And uh, that was more of a fit than, than you know, uh, you know, sort of like a big board type outlook. No, and I, I think that's actually a spectacular fit because in addition to the offensive side, the one thing he does really well in defense is move his feet, mm-hmm. and that's a team that I think long term is probably going to be a team that tries to switch most actions just because Zion exists and they can create havoc that way. Uh, Brandon Ingram is so long and has the ability to contest and recover, recover and contest. Mm-hmm. Uh, to where he's going to be able to be switchable. Jackson Hayes has incredible lateral agility. Zeke Naji would have great lateral agility. And their guards, I mean, who knows what happens with Drew because Drew's a potential free agent after the end of this year. But, like, that's a guy that can switch on to bigs. Like, they just have – they're building perfect personnel to right. be able to play a super high-level high level switchable defense. Right. And, and, you know, and, and I understand he's not, he's not great defensively, but I think there is a lot of value in a guy being an average defender – on multiple positions, you know, so it's just it gives you again lineup flexibility. Which, if you're talking about a guy that's not a star, I mean, just adds value. I mean, a guy that can fill fill minutes in a depth chart if he's able to defend and play offensively on, on you know, more than one position. Let's uh, talk about the international class. I have seen, I think, all of these guys play live at least once, except Pukyshevsky. Uh, because have you seen Pukyshevsky at all live? No. I have not. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, like, I feel like there are some NBA teams that are scrambling, like, that were scrambling to try and see him live uh, prior to the uh, end of the, or prior to the start of the outbreak. Uh, in general, I am a fan of this international class. I think there has a chance to be something like, and not counting the LaMelo Ball, RJ Hampton group. Uh, I would venture that there is a chance that four or five of these guys go in the first round. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think, you know, it's definitely top heavy compared to other drafts. I mean, usually we're looking at a lot of guys that are, you know, are they on the fence of, you know, do they, do they come over right away or do they, you know, are they draft and stash? I think we've got a lot of guys that are going to come over right away in the first round. 
Uh, very limited draft and stash guys, though, which sort of makes it interesting in the second round. I think we're going to get uh, a number of players drafted, like American-based guys drafted, because there's not as many options to stash. But, uh, yep. yeah, I mean, Killian Hayes, Balmero, Pokusevsky, um, you know, some legit, legit guys. Matt Maladon. Yeah, no, I think that uh, I'm a little bit lower on Maladon, probably a little bit higher on Hayes than where some teams are that I've talked to. The guy that you're higher on that I am not as high on is Leandro Bomaro. Mm-hmm. I, I would love to hear the pitch from you on Bomaro because honestly, like I feel like I haven't talked about him much on the podcast uh, and it's because I'm not quite as high on him as some people seem to be. Like I've talked to teams that have him in a very similar range to where you do. Yeah. I mean, he's, uh, you know, I mean, he's got a ways to go, but I mean, he, he's very, very versatile. You know, he's six, seven plus in play. I, I kind of put him as like a two, one, three, uh, terrific, you know, on the ball, you know, pick and roll situations. And I just like his versatility. I mean, I think if you, if he develops properly, and you can plug him into so many different spots and just you know, adds a lot of value there. Just you, know, you can play him with so, with so many different players. Yeah, and, like, I think that people get this impression of, like, oh, he's, like, a 6'7". He's South American because he's from Argentina. But, um, you know, 6'7 guy playing over in Europe, he's probably not that athletic. This guy plays with speed. Right. Like, he actually makes very quick reactions and has the ability to get to a high speed very, very quickly that I like. I just don't know that I buy the shot. I don't know that I buy the upward explosiveness. Like I, I'm, I'm just not sure what he does after he gets separation. Essentially, I think he will be able to get separation. I worry about what happens after that. Yeah, I, agree. I mean, I'm not looking at him as like an elite guy. I mean, some people are throwing the Ginobili thing in there. It's like, come on, like that's just ridiculous. But uh, it, it reminds me more of like a scoring, more aggressive scoring Thomas Sadoransky. And so, I mean, in this draft, we're talking about mm. a lot of complementary guys. And so, I, I'm, I'm sort of valuing him as a guy that will be a rotation player, maybe a borderline starter. I have him at 19 right now. Um, I mean, I know some people have him higher higher than that even, uh, but that's that's sort of the high side for, for me on him. All right, the last 10 minutes here, maybe not even 10 minutes. <laughs> I want to spend talking about guys that you would pound the table for if you were uh, drafting in the second round for your team. Who are your pound the table, I am higher on this guy than anyone else in this draft room? guys well I think we're both on the same page here that he should be a first rounder is Elijah Hughes for one uh which we, we talked about him yeah. uh the other guy that comes to mind is Jalen Harris from Nevada I'm just really high on this kid um you know he's a little bit older so I think that's part of the reason he's not getting quite as much buzz this kid's 6'5 he's tough as nails he's competitive uh big time scorer I mean just does a little bit of everything but you play him on the ball you play him off the ball um, he's just he seems like a winner to me, and I, I think I think he's a guy that that's really going to succeed. That that would be one guy I'd really fight for. Um, I also like another kid from the Mountain West is uh, Malachi Flynn. I think he's going to be a yep. really good backup point guard. Uh, just a, you know, again, just a tough kid. And I think uh, you know one one thing with with guys stepping in that aren't sort of just given the red carpet is it's a it's a dogfight to stick in the NBA, and you need to have some mental fortitude. You need to have some toughness to, to you know to to produce in limited minutes. I think both those kids could step in as second-round picks and, and, and produce. Yeah, I like Malachi a lot more than I like Jalen. Uh, with Malachi, I like that he is tough and feisty on defense. I don't know that – like, I, I thought it was kind of disgraceful that he won the Mountain West Defensive Player of the Year because he's not that level on defense. But he's a good defender for a point guard because he plays really hard and can shoot passing lanes. Um his like reputation at Washington State, and I actually ranked him in my top 100 when he was at Washington State. Even like this guy was a scorer at Washington State. Like he was not a guy that was like a two-way point guard that initiated offense and 
did a great job running offense and had like a three to one assist turnover ratio. This guy got buckets at Washington State. Like right. that was his job. And I think he has a lot more of that in his game than what other people recognize. And I love the fact that he made those necessary strides as a offensive distributor. Uh, that he needed to make in order to become a legitimate point guard at the next level. Yeah, I, I agree totally. And he, he sort of reminds me of uh, uh, Travis Diener, you know, just a tough kid, you know, not not a big-time athlete, not all that big, just but he gets it done, you know, just a, just a tough, tough as nails and, uh, you know, more of a score-first guy that, but is, is an effective playmaker. Um, and I, I like him a lot. In uh, Jalen Harris, like, I am just a little bit worried about what else he does. Like, what happens if the scoring does not translate at the level he needs it to to be an NBA player? Uh, what else does he hang his hat on as an NBA player? I'm I'm not sure he's a great defender. I'm not sure he's a great distributor. Like, I think he's going to get separation, but, like, they ran a lot of those, like, mid to, like, high post, mid-range post-ups for him mm-hmm. where, like, that shit just isn't going to fly at the next level. Right. So, like, I'm – I'm not saying that like I'm low on him because I definitely have him like as a top 75 guy and like I would 100% love him as a two-way guy and all of this stuff like you having him at I think that a lot of people don't recognize how small the difference is between like you having him at 31 and me having him at like 73 right. like the margins for a lot of these guys are so small that that's really just not an enormous difference but like I just worry about what else he does if the scoring doesn't totally translate. Yeah, I mean, I think one, he's definitely going to need to adapt because, I mean, you know, stepping in as a second-round player, you know, after having the full green light as a scorer in Nevada, I mean, that, that that's certainly going to change. Uh, but I, I do like his versatility. I mean, I think he, he I think he is capable of playing point guard. Uh, and, and defensively, I, I do like him because he's tough. I mean, he really competes. And uh, doing background on him, he he's really seems to have the, the growth mindset of, you know, doing what it takes to, to adapt, to improve. Uh, and I just have confidence that he's going to he's gonna get better and figure things out regardless of where he goes. Yeah, and the guy that uh, I feel that way about ever after having done the background intel on him is Chris Smith at UCLA. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been just – he's been just like a rocket ship for me up my board over the course of the last uh, – really the last like month and a half, month. Uh, this kid is super hyper mature for a 20-year-old. He's another kid like Kyra Lewis where he got to college at 17 years old, but unlike Kyra, he struggled early on. He fought through adversity to get past that point now, and it says a lot to me that he was able to do that and get to the point where he is now uh, a potential draftee, and I think he's a very realistic potential draftee. I, I would uh, pretty comfortably take him in the top 45 and not think twice. Yeah, no, I've got him at 41 right now, and it's been really interesting with him. I mean, his freshman, sophomore year, the, the talent was always there. I mean, he, he teased every game I saw him in, there'd always be a player or two. He'd be like, oh, my gosh, like, that guy's got so much talent, and he just – you know, he just had a certain level of softness that kind of held him back a little bit. Uh, and then, you know, to start this year, I was in Maui, and he was uh, he was in the doghouse. I mean, wasn't even starting for the team. The team was garbage. And, uh, you know, towards the end of the year, I saw him at uh, at Colorado and talk about just a complete transformation. He really bought into the mixed system and seemed like he got a little stronger and, I mean, really turned himself into a legitimate prospect. I, I, I agree with everything you're saying on him. He's got a lot of talent. and legitimate size and he's turned himself into a really good shooter can handle the ball. I mean, he's, he's got an NBA game. 
Yeah, he's a guy that I think is hindered most by the lack of true pre-draft process this year. Uh, someone like him, I think, would just be shooting up draft boards right now if it wasn't for this pandemic. So I think teams would get a look at him and they'd just be talking about They'd either completely shut down all communication to anyone about Chris Smith and be like, if any of you fuckers talk about Chris Smith, we are firing you immediately because we're taking him. Or they'd be like, wouldn't be able to keep their mouths shut and be like, yeah, this kid came in and balled out. Right. I, I know there's some teams that like him. I mean, I, I sat with some NBA scouts at games, and um, yeah. I, I think I think there's a number of people that see what we're seeing. Uh, Matt, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what you've got going on coming up here. Give a plug for Babcock Hoops, too. Sure, yeah. So uh, you can find our site, uh, BabcockHoops.com, and you can find me on Twitter, at MattBabcock11. Uh, then our company uh, handle is at BabcockHoops. Go follow Matt. He does a great job. This has been the Game Theory Podcast. I have a bunch of stories coming out over the next little while. I talked with Will Guillory about the Pelicans rookies. I talked with Fred Katz about the Washington Wizards and their draft plans. I have a feature coming out at some point that I'll keep under wraps until that gets done. Um, Just keep it. Go to The Athletic. uh, Keep it locked there. It would be fantastic if you would be able to go over there and subscribe. But until next time, we will talk soon. Bye. Thank you.